what are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm trying to say they're shady, okay? I'm just saying they're shady. They might be great people, but they got a shady look about them. You could have showered. You could have showered. <laughs> Invitations <laughs> went out a while ago. Like, why does that guy's tuxedo have cut off sleeves? Live from the overpriced, mundangerous venue in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 197 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, it's the talk of the town as we discuss running, playing, and eating at dinner parties. But first the rogue traders track down an old enemy, who is kind of a new enemy, and maybe is the wrong enemy, in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the gourmand samples all of nature's delights in the character creation forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. Speaking of sampling all of nature's delights, Empire of the Ghouls is the first 5th edition campaign from Cobalt Press for characters levels 1 to 14, taking your heroes deep into the realms of the undead. That's good, because those are the levels at which PCs taste best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not too... Uh, they're not too- sinewy and rough at that yeah, point yeah you know? less like, gristle yeah exactly <laughs> i like wizards because they don't get exercise yeah soft supple wizards <laughs> so in empire of the ghouls you will explore a kingdom of terror and blood ruled by vampires then far below the earth in the underdark you'll explore a mighty empire of ghouls almost like it's on the uh, cover of the book huh just like it says mm-hmm. like a recipe book as promised this massive 5e campaign will include new Underdark lore as, lo- as well as tons of undead monsters, magic, and more, with both an adventure book and a player's guide. Yeah, I really like how Cobalt Press does this, where you get a player's guide that gives you a lot of your player options and kind of sets the stage for where and, and how this adventure takes place. Uh, but then you've got all the other s- material is in a separate book that only the, the GM needs and you're in good shape. Right, because if you have those players who are dirty cheaters and they get their hands on the book the one book that has player info in it, and then they definitely can't stop themselves from looking at the adventure. Nope. Who shall remain nameless. They yep. shall not, not, not naming be. any names. Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't listen to the show. Steph does, though. <laughs> Don't tell him. You can sign up to be alerted when this Kickstarter goes live at www.cobaltpress.com slash kickstarters. All right. Speaking of keeping secrets within the party, Shane... Where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Death World Iblis Prime, in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. Funny that you should mention the Holy Throne of Terra because we've just hired a bunch of creepy Xenos mercenaries. Uh-huh, a bunch of warlike avian Xenos mercenaries known as the Crute. Well, they're doing a good job securing our newly rebuilt mining camp, which leaves us free to return to Meridian, and specifically our base in the Commercia District, to deal with our uh, human rivals much more directly. So your first order of business is to hire surveyors out from under the peacekeepers, uh, the Mercantile Collective, who then set to work scouting real estate to expand your influence. Next, uh, because we're still angry about the sabotage that they committed at our mine, including blowing it up, 
Yes. <laughs> Including. <laughs> like 100% that. Uh, there was also, I'm sure, trespassing. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Lying on a uh, on an employment form. That's right. And then when we confronted them about it, they were like, nah, that wasn't us. That wasn't us. <laughs> but we have video footage of you there. That's not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Techno ganger shaggy. <laughs> So we turn our attention to these techno gangers and specifically their co-intel operations, spycraft. So in order to track the terrorist cell that was responsible, you'll now need to crack through the techno gangers version of counterintelligence, right? Counter spies uh, who are mostly bruisers that are buttoning up their operations and ensuring that all the different gang members have zero trust of outsiders and don't leak any information. They're, they're, Basically, like, you know, the meatheads feeding the bad info and seeing who leaks it so they can go beat them up. Yeah, right. Their version of operational security is, like, internal murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Since we don't see a viable alternative for getting in the front door, because obviously they don't know who we are, slash they know who we are. Uh-huh. Uh, we decided to deploy mm, a scheme that we've done before. We try to hire them. Uh-huh. This... <laughs> <laughs> When all else fails, Pose is a wealthy merchant <laughs> trying to hire some muscle. Throw some money around. That's really all we've got. <laughs> you really don't have much money left to throw around either, but <laughs> it's fine. So, yeah, you pose as merchants from the Peacekeepers, which, uh, I mean, isn't really even a lie. I mean, you are technically members of the Peacekeepers. Um, and you, you start working through a series of Technoganger contacts. Um, all trying to reach the group that is running those counter intel operations. And so you're kind of going through over the course of weeks, uh, peeling these layers, being vetted at multiple stages. Uh, and finally, you get a meeting with what you believe or who you believe to be a handler for this COINTEL cell. So we're actually kind of impressed by this level of security. Um, they're never meeting in the same place. Uh, they never have more than just messengers in order to provide dead drops. They often switch locations at the last minute. They're really hard to track down. Um, they're not betraying any clue as to where the cell is hidden. But fortunately, they can't account for the fact that we have a psyker. And Flair uses his creepy, warpy telepathy to steal the location information directly from their minds. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week... Hey, shout out to Discord. You requested dinner parties, and here we are. You got an invitation. Yeah, you are invited to this episode yes. of dinner parties. You're on the list. Okay, Shane, what do we mean by dinner parties? We mean potluck sessions, right? Uh, no, <laughs> we mean uh, <laughs> sessions in which you have, you know, uh, a group of characters in a social situation gathered around a meal. Uh, at least, you know, on its face. That's basically what a dinner party is. Um, but of course, this doesn't need to feature an actual dinner. Uh, it applies to any type of activity where you've got guests and uh, sort of a central excuse to gather. It could be, you know, a gala or a wedding or a dance or a fundraiser or a night at the theater or, uh, you know, uh, an event at a casino or attending a sporting event or a gladiatorial combat or a joust or you know, any number of sort of social activities where 
you know, you are there to see and be seen, to communicate and share, but definitely not to stab people directly in the chest. Uh, keep going. How many more events are there? <laughs> How many other event types? <laughs> uh, I will say, though, um, I think you're really missing an opportunity if you don't include food because, <laughs> uh, one, it means someone can accidentally choke. Two, uh, opportunities for poison. Three, food fight. Yeah. Uh, the other nice thing about including food is um, you get assigned seating. Uh, which is just the best way to just reveal that uh, characters are sitting next to people they just absolutely do not get along with or like the the two characters who are joking around the whole time get to sit next to each other. You know, you can really like set the occasion for the next hour or so uh, with assigned seats at, a, at an actual dinner. Yeah, it really brings in that fish out of water element, which is nice. Uh, okay, so why are dinner parties useful? Like, people on discord asked us about them it means that people want to run them uh and i think part of it is because like it's a chance to mix and mingle um both as a player you get the fun chance to sort of like be at a party and and do a little bit of small talk and like show off and describe the way that like you're dressed uh but you also get to uh, rub shoulders with people you might not otherwise in the setting, which can be very useful for gathering information. Yeah, so what's cool, too, is that a lot of times these face activities fall on one or two characters that are kind of optimized for it. Mm -hmm. Um, When you do a party like this, all the characters in the party can be present and actively engaged, and they aren't necessarily always talking to people who are natural faces themselves, right? So they have a chance to... Um, actually use social skills that otherwise might be buried on their sheet. It reminds me, of course, of the like dinner party episode Shindig in Firefly, right? Everyone shows mm-hmm. up and you usually end up with like that verbal jousting, the social combat in most circumstances where like the face steps up and like they're dealing with another face, right? Mm-hmm. On the NPC side. And this is a great opportunity. Like maybe the like high commander uh, of the army isn't interested in niceties but what they do want to talk about is like tank operations yeah and the engineer is great at that so here's your time to shine like all you need to do to tell somebody in the players party that like this is a safe person to screw up your social roles with is say man i hate these things don't you yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is great no matter who they're talking to because if it's someone who doesn't like the parties like a piece who doesn't like the parties great you've got an in if it's someone who really does like the parties well, use those face skills to lie about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so here's a cool thing, too, is that um, when you talk about mixing and mingling, you end up with a variety of factions, of personalities, of people types, and agendas all represented in the same place, right? So this can be rivals and competitors, as well as friends and family, as well as, like, sworn enemies. And, you know, like, the, the two commanders of the warring nations might still go to the same party because... You know, like, war is not a full-time job in this continent. Right. Or, like, these are the first steps toward diplomacy. Right. Yeah, I love that um, you can railroad a party, in uh, like a PC party, to going to a dinner party. Like, there's no way for you to get out of this. But then once you're there, it's basically the opposite of the railroad. Like, all of the plot threads are here because everyone's invited to this thing. Right. And, like... You tell me which ones you're pulling on. Yeah, well, that's that's another important thing, right? Is like just the sheer amount of information that's available in one place because you've got people from every nation and species and and 
guild and family and and whatever in these parties like there's so many npcs the information has to just kind of flow more freely where you'd be chasing them around town for days and weeks otherwise Mm -hmm. um and then like even things that are you know typically secret at a party they become gossip uh which means those rumors can certainly shed light on what's going on (laughs) or maybe you're planting them yourself right exactly (laughs) Uh, and you can do all of this because specifically at a party, there is a limited risk of violence. Um, it's unlikely that there's going to be like an all out shootout, except at the end when there's definitely going to be an all out shootout. Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> um, but it's it's a nice opportunity that everybody is sort of laboring under the same restrictions. You know, there's an excellent chance that people were patted down or like you couldn't bring in your armor and your weapons into this r- building. Right. Like the authorities made sure that that didn't happen. Right. So like there's at least the implication that violence is not an option here or like you can only answer with violence when it is meted out by someone else first. Yeah, it's kind of a it's it's beyond a last resort almost. Of course, the exception here is always true. Uh, This may just mean that your target is surprisingly unarmed and unprepared, given that you're at a party. And if you can take the risk of you know, smuggling in whatever is necessary, this might be a good time to target them. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is always the scenario I think of when I think about uh, the Iron Face build that we put together, like the the monk rogue who, like, walks into the dinner party in, like, a fancy dress and high heels and has no problem murdering somebody yes. with her bare hands. Starts snapping necks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that's important to remember, though, is that just because there's low risk of violence at the event doesn't free anybody from consequences right like it just delays the retribution uh you actually in that episode of firefly and shindig right um mal gets himself challenged to a duel which he then has to accept and then finds out that he is a terrible swordsman yeah like we're not going to do it here at the party but next session guess what exactly (laughs) right flip back through the catalog to find the episode on dueling okay yeah that one (laughs) So you you do have to sort of mind your manners and and general social convention, right? Because the threat of violence is real. It just isn't going to happen here. Yeah, right? Like, this noble won't punch you in the face, but they will order an orbital bombardment on your colony. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) They will bury you in freedom of information requests. (laughs) Don't poke the newspaper. (laughs) So the journalists get to come out one time a year, okay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so speaking of journalists, I do love that um, you, you alluded to this, like information is at least more free-flowing at, at the parties. Yeah, there's gossip, but also like it's it is a prime nexus for other NPC groups. It's very likely that like two other groups are meeting here, and that's why you've infiltrated in the first place. Mm-hmm. Or conversely, um, the dinner party in our uh, Dynasty and Warranty campaign was two NPC groups wanted to recruit you to their cause. Uh, They were here because you were here. Yeah, it's nice to get wooed for Mm -hmm. once, as it happened since. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a great opportunity. Like if if this isn't the end of an arc, but it is the beginning of an arc, you can basically kick the party into a party and say hey, let me know what you find interesting. That's what we will be building off from, right? Like all of the the plot threads are here. You will be chasing them down and I will be watching you. So how do you go about doing that once you're actually at the party? You know, like the, the characters are there and they're very excited about the things they're going to be doing there, but how do you pull it off? 
So I think the most important thing to remember with a party is you need to focus on dramatic interactions, not procedural interactions. Um, so to borrow from Drama System by Robin D. Laws, uh, what you want to make sure is that the dramatic question of each interaction is, will a character get what they want? Right. So you need to establish what do each character in this conversation, what are they trying to get out of this conversation? Is it information? Is it a commitment? Is it, um, you know, to move up the social ranking or to um, shame or, or push somebody down the social ranking? Uh, do they just want to be seen with that person, right? Like figure out what is the, what is the petitioner looking for and ask that question in each conversation. Rather than focusing on procedural elements like, hey, are we going to open that lock or are we going to defeat that monster? You know, like that's not really relevant in a dinner party kind of scenario. Yeah. And that lets you move it away from like the mechanical questions of like, what skill am I using this round in order to like be at this dinner party because we're running it like a, a rote skill challenge. Right. You can have kind of free-flowing conversations and then roll skills when you try to determine reactions to those conversations. Right, and it lets the party be much more player-directed because, so going in, you want to make sure that each uh, PC is clear on the agenda. Like, why specifically is the group here at, like, the Met Gala? And why is this individual here? Like, what is your task? What is your particular goal? Either as part of the job that you're pulling or, uh, like, as part of, like, a personal motivation. So... We're at the Met Gala because we're going to steal these diamonds. Yeah. Okay. But my job here is to like be the distraction. Yeah. Like I, or I am here to get an in with the Baron. Also, I'm here to show up my ex. <laughs> well, yeah, naturally. I mean, you want competing. <laughs> yeah, like, find a reason for everybody to be there and slightly at odds with each other. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do love that like dinner parties uh, exist in this overlap space with heists in general. Like a heist is always awesome to do at a dinner party while everyone's distracted. Right. Or an assassination. Like those are the two like sub subbing or sub adventures that work well at dinner parties as well. Yeah. Oh, but you now you've made an enemy of the chef. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The chef. <laughs> Not the family of the uh, poor sucker. He was. Oh, no. His reputation is the one that's destroyed. <laughs> Forget this noble house. Whatever. So I think in focusing on these dramatic interactions, um, you want to kind of share the spotlight pretty regularly, kind of hop around the room and see what's going on at any given moment, right? And sort of build tension in that way. Um, you know, maybe if uh, one character asks the like operative question, right? Like, you know, will you back us on our expedition? I'll cut away at that moment to, you know, maybe a more lighthearted conversation happening on the other end of the room, right? And we'll come back to that. And so play kind of freely with time and the focus of the story so that you can amp up the drama in these interactions. Yeah, that'll also help minimize the chances that the PCs end up just sort of being the wallflowers at the party who are standing there by the punch bowl, not really knowing what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> just just like every every player was in high school at, the, at prom. Right. This is your chance to do something different. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, make sure they have their goals so they know why they're here. And then if you even if you have a character who's like thing is, hey, I'm awkward around people, like Echo actually in Dynasty Unwarranted, mm -hmm. you can like send a PC over. Like above the table, be like, what is your goal? Oh, my goal is still to like steal information or something great you can send over somebody that either makes that complicated or like makes it easier 
Right. So another thing that you want to do is try to create sort of a background buzz of subplots, right? Like all of these different NPCs here have diverse desires and different objectives and may be able to help the characters in in various ways. Um, You want to kind of keep their motivations and and desires in mind um, to kind of create a milieu for the players to experience, yeah, we talked about this a bit in the episode on sowing plot seeds. Like you're you're sort of doing this throughout an entire campaign, but this particular scenario is like r- a ripe opportunity to throw out as as many as you want. And like the party doesn't have to track every single one down, right? Like as they overhear people talking with other people in conversations that maybe they're not even in, they're just walking by, you hear like snatches of conversation that potentially might be interesting for them to pick up identify a handful of notable NPCs who are at this party that your players will be interested in and then give each of those NPC a, a desire that is connected to someone else in the room. You have this this network, this web of possible subplots, some of which your party has already picked up on and is like pursuing now and others that they could potentially signal are interesting for later. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're here to pull off a job, but we're also going to pick up rumors about other potential jobs. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. Or, you know, if this is the one chance to, um, you know, meet the Duke and Duchess, for example, um, but you can't just walk up to a Duke and Duchess, even at a dinner party, you need to be introduced properly. So you need to find somebody who's willing to introduce you. Now you have an interest in all of these background plots, right? Like every connection that the NPCs in the room have to each other is potentially something where you could intervene and help somebody get what they want in exchange for introducing you to get what you want. Yeah, the extreme uh, social climbing. Like right right here, right now. Yeah, I climb three ladders on the social hierarchy. Right, yeah. It's think of it all like the last day of summer camp, or uh, or like you know a high school dance, right? Where everybody comes with some interest in somebody else in the room, and this is like the event of the season, and they have to absolutely you know get it done here tonight. Um, You know whether that's getting a chance to make out with that person, or it's. like sealing the trade agreement that you've been working on between your two nations for two years, you know, one way or the other, like everybody it's coming to a head tonight. Yeah. One thing I do love about these scenarios is that typically um, you're dealing with like NPCs who are very specialized. They're nobles or like they're career like officers, but they probably don't have like hand to hand combat skills. You know, they're, they're not like uh, monks, whereas the PCs are much more likely to be super spies or adventurers or like, um, you know, superheroes in disguise who can do things like accidentally trip someone to fall into someone else or spill a drink or, you know, use sleight of hand or mind control in order to like influence events surreptitiously. Yeah. Yeah. Cheating, cheating at the Baccarat table will <laughs> definitely upset the Baron who doesn't like losing his money or perhaps will upset the Baroness who hates that her husband is so bad at gambling. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind that you lose the money, but just stop doing it in front of everyone. It's embarrassing how (laughs) bad you are. (laughs) So one good way to tackle all of these different threads is to split up the PCs. I know we usually say don't do this, but hey, you're all in the same room usually. Yeah, you're in the same room and the dinner party is implied to be safe, right? You don't need to huddle together in a group for safety in numbers. You And it's in fact, it's weird that a group of like six rough and tumble adventurers go stalking around the room accosting nobles that way. Right. Like they have very thick necks for nobles. I don't 
understand why why are they all looking at us like that and muttering to each other and that one's practically wearing a set of drapes instead of a dress (laughs) (laughs) who was her tailor they're all looking at each other knowingly are they speaking telepathically how rude So if they are sort of uncomfortable, like splitting up naturally, it's great to have an NPC just approach the group and request someone sort of take a walk or, um, you know, grab somebody out of them and and make a personal introduction, right? So, oh, it's, you know, you, uh, Echo, like you just have to meet the uh, quartermaster for the third army. I think you'd get along grandly, right? Let me introduce you. And then you just drag that person away from the group and sort of uninvite the rest of them from that discussion yeah i also um love having uh someone in high society start bullying them (laughs) even though they they don't understand that how easily they could be murdered right (laughs) (laughs) and then you have that nice tension of the the pcs being like i want to murder you but I believe we decided the first thing we wouldn't do is murder people in front of other people that we are not murdering. All I want to do is bathe in your blood right now. I'm just going to wait till you go to the bathroom. So like we said before, this is a chance for the face characters uh, to shine while reminding other people that like, sometimes you do want to invest a bit in some face skills. Yeah, you you could be put in an awkward situation. <laughs> Right, someone just decided to walk up to you because they liked or didn't like the way that you looked. Now you're in the spotlight. Yep. In a way that like doesn't usually happen because you don't want to step on the toes of the face character in like combat situations or like when you have an audience like with the king. Right. Yeah, like obviously the um the mum embarrassed and sort of shoegazing uh, monk is not going to be the main person negotiating with the king when the flamboyant and self-confident rogue or bard are sitting right there taking the spotlight uh but at a party you're all in the spotlight but that isn't the only way that non-face characters can be useful right like they don't have to spend the whole night struggling they can do other activities while carrying on these conversations right to gain information they can be the one who is observing other people and like overhearing conversations, gathering intel, figuring out, um, like reading the table and uh, like reading the air in the room, figuring out who doesn't like whom, and then relaying that information to people who can actually use it. Um, they might be the person who is counting the cards <laughs> at the at the casino table and making sure that they're not getting caught. Uh, right. Or the one who is actually cheating and, and letting like the one who's good at bluffing uh, beat everyone else in poker. Or, you know, if there is sort of a, some other activity going on, um, you know, during this event, you know, like gambling or, or maybe like a sporting event or gladiatorial fights. Right. You might f- be the fighter who is impressed with that skill and is um, sort of entertaining a group of people with sort of narrating what's going on in the fight. Um, you know, like a, a boxing match, for example, right? Like that would certainly draw people to you and would be a way to kind of fraternize without necessarily having to rely on charisma. It's just a, a knowledge type thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's very useful to not be the person who everyone has eyes on usually, like to not be the person who shines because that means that you can do things like rub elbows with the wait staff or like the people who are running the party who really are the ones who know what's going on. The people who have keys to everything. <laughs> I like the idea of like sneaking out 
through the kitchen to like have a cigarette in the in the back alley you know with like the waiters and it's like come on guys spill the dirt what are you hearing you know how these are i know how these are yeah this is awful i don't want to be here either but you know uh it's a living yeah level with me oh the baron that guy you know what i heard about that guy right <laughs> yeah it, it's actually great to um share the gossip with the wait staff they will yep. love you uh, and of course like the secret base is in the basement obviously right like the evil villain secret base is going to be in the basement uh the quickest way to get to that is to like go to the bathroom and take a detour yeah or um <laughs> oh interesting go to the bathroom and take a detour because that worked really well in ace ventura pet detective <laughs> It worked perfectly. He won in the end, didn't he? It also worked really well in um, National Treasure, I believe. Ocean's 8, I think. Yeah. That was actually at the Met Gala. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, these are. it's always good to, you know, just kind of excuse yourself and then sneak away into the sections of the building you're not supposed to be in. So, then, as you alluded to prior, uh, I think the the reason to introduce a dinner party most of all is it's a way to let the players decide which direction they want to carry the campaign forward um without having to have the above the table conversation of like cool you guys can go like over in this direction and chase this plot or you can go over in this direction and chase that plot but like i only really want to prepare one so you guys tell me what you're interested in right um Instead, you can use the party as the way that the players decide in character which direction they're going to go. Yeah, I mean, this worked great in Dynasty Unwarranted, uh, where we could have had a conversation about which set of suitors, like economic suitors, um, like potential trade partners, would have been in our best interest to sign up with. Like, we could have had that negotiation at the table. But it was much more interesting to go to a dinner party um and you know have ba- basically like a, a verbal banter with them and then have them sort of jousting with each other at the table in terms of competing offers um one it was a full session right right and two it was in character the whole time yeah exactly which like we could have done in character sitting at like a, a table up on our ship but it would have been much less interesting because we we wouldn't have come to a conclusion right we would have said all right well here are the questions that we need to ask other people now we just got to do that in the moment yeah, yeah. Instead of like, cool, please submit to me your uh, two trade proposals and I will compare them and get back to you with my questions and we will optimize this for the best thing, right? Like, I was able to set up the party with NPCs that are basically representing each group um, or, you know, each plot hook or, you know, each direction, you know, take the expedition to Chult or um, go and see what's happening in Neverwinter for me, you know, like, it, it works both ways. Um, but you, you have the NPCs that are representing each path forward. Um, and then you're able to just interact with them directly in a way that is safe for you guys to figure it out. Yeah. The situation you don't want to end up in as a GM is having to, uh, take your party's RFP and then come up with like two pitches. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like that's way too much work. And like, as a party, you don't want to have that happen either because then the GM is just going to submit two pitches and one will be objectively better, which means they have already now decided what you're going to do. Exactly. Yep. So instead, you make sort of a, an encounter or really a session or adventure out of picking which adventure to start. <laughs> right. And you, you just sort of like take each of those important NPCs and assign them to each of the plot hooks. 
right? Yep. Like you're the leader of this faction. You're the leader of that faction. You're the person who wants to like go off in this other adventure and sort of like derail things. But hey, if they pick that guy, then let's go with that guy. Yep. And then in the background, you have the kind of secondary NPCs, right? Like uh, here's your banker who is telling you, you are running low on funds and it's going to be hard to continue running that mining operation that you so desperately want to make good on. You know, or or over here is uh, is your family's um, like seneschal of your house who is telling you like you have not earned enough acclaim yet. If one of your parents dies, they will almost certainly pass the title on to your brother. And now is also your chance to get either the banker or the seneschal drunk and convince them otherwise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can, you can really like knit up a bunch of plots in one place uh, in one session without it feeling like basically effectively doing some housekeeping on your plot threads. Right. Right. Like le- level with me. Like mom and dad suck. Right. Right. Like you hate working for them. Right. Yeah. So I thought. So I thought <laughs> I just love it. I just think it's great. I'm just so happy to be here. I mean, I like, I never get to go out anymore. Cause like I, your parents make me work like 20 hour days, but like, it's just so good. It's so good working for them. I'm an elf. And your parents are humans. I have been working for them since they were babies. And your family for seven, seven generations. Do you know how long seven generations is? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So big secret here. Um, it also lets you as the GM at the dinner party stick a big old thumb on the scale of what your party wants to do. Yeah. So if one of the possible paths forward, uh, one of the plot hooks is represented by NPCs who are, you know, kind of shady looking figures, greasy slicked back hair, you know, flighty eyes kind of. What are you trying to say, Shane? What are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm trying to say they're shady, okay? I'm just saying they're shady. They might be great people, but they got a shady look about them. You could have showered. You could have showered. <laughs> Invitations yeah. went out a while ago. Like, why does that guy's tuxedo have cut off sleeves? <laughs> it's because he obviously murdered someone, put on their tuxedo, and walked in here. <laughs> <laughs> got to remove the blood stain. That makes sense. <laughs> So, you know, if, if, but if that's the case, uh, or if they're being, you know, shifty or flighty about how they're responding, you know, if they're giving off the sense that this path might be a trap, uh, the PCs will be very in tune to that and feel like they're making a good choice, uh, but still their choice of going the opposite direction. Yeah. You can also tie in other plot threads that they've already weighed in on. So, like, it doesn't necessarily need to be that. Um, the person representing one interest is someone that they feel like they don't like. It could literally be someone that they do not like. Someone that they hate is like representing one of these options, which makes them, of course, much less likely to take it. Yep. Or it could be that the person that they hate from like, you know, the first arc of the campaign will be someone who benefits if they take one direction versus another. So yep. probably they're going to be like, well, we hate that guy. So no. Yeah. And, and in that case, right, that's probably not, information that's forthcoming up front but you have sort of secondary npcs who are able to advise upon those potential consequences right and i mean it is a subtle form of railroading in that it gives your party a motivation to pursue one particular avenue like we hate this guy we want to make sure that he doesn't do well even if maybe that means that we're taking a slightly less lucrative job because we're going to make sure that the very lucrative job doesn't pan out for anybody Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, don't forget that they might salt the earth behind them. 
<laughs> Look, if he if he gets a thousand gold out of this and we get seven hundred, I would rather that he gets zero and we get five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, player characters always willing to cut off their nose to spite their face. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> it's basically the story of Roth Enterprises and <laughs> the Lionheart Dynasty. <laughs> so Ishan outside of dynasty and warranted have you been part of any other kind of dinner party type uh encounters uh well not too long ago uh you ran uh, a one shot of mission accomplished i guess every game of mission accomplished is is one shot right (laughs) uh by jeff stormer where we sort of naturally gravitated toward a dinner party or sort of like all of us are it's a debrief right it's sort of all told in flashback a debrief of like uh, what our like super secret spy mission was and it turned out that it was essentially a heist on a casino cruise yeah a lot of the flashbacks ended up being the sort of dramatic tension of your characters pursuing their own goals versus the kind of procedural actions of doing the bare minimum to have successfully completed your mission right and I think this plays out in a dinner party scenario a lot, which is there is the overarching goal that you have to accomplish because otherwise there's no point in being here. Steal mm-hmm. the diamonds. But you have these secondary goals that you are and you are willing to sacrifice other secondary goals. And in a game like Mission Accomplished, you're willing to sacrifice other people's other people. secondary <laughs> goals or even, yes, you're right, even other people in order to accomplish your secondary goal. And then I think what's cool about how that scenario plays out is like just in the the order that that game is played because you you're kind of submitting cards um, that dictate events that happened or you know conversations or outcomes. Um, we end up learning what all of the background subplots were for the uh, for that whole party, sort of by reading through the cards and seeing what actually happened, like, oh, we build the, the subplots that kind of tie all these events together. Yeah, and it was interesting to see how quickly everyone fell into, like, the role of being on a dinner party and on a boat and, like, dressed to the nines, but also, like, trying to conduct a mission. Like, it, one of the reasons that this works well in almost any kind of game is that almost anyone who's playing an RPG understands it intuitively like you just present hey you're at a dinner party and hey like you forged or stole these tickets but you're in tuxedos and ball gowns like people are like oh i know what's going on here i know how to do this and people are just more likely to come up with um interesting ideas or to try things that they've seen um in other media or or adapt them Mm -hmm. i i actually really like this for kids on bikes or some of the like more teen oriented games like masks or something like that where like i feel like this makes for a really good session as like literally like a high school dance or a high school prom or you know something like that where you have all of the social angst rather than the social like climbing of like adults at a like noble adults at a proper like gala Mm -hmm. I love like the the whole like awkwardness and the simplicity of the plots, right? Of like various characters wanting such simple things out of this one night, right? Like somebody probably just wants to not be noticed, right? Like I just want to get through this thing and get home. 
Um, whereas like others are like, this is my, like my grand, like my perfect night. This is the best night of my life. Cause this is my senior prom, you know? Right. I have seven boxes I need to check off. And yeah, if exactly. any one of these doesn't work out, I mean, wedding works well too for that, that kind of scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you get this written into to some games. I think you, when you were playing the doomed, uh, in our, the masks game that we played at Intraconso, uh, I think one of the goals, like on your sheet, was like you want to kiss another person in the in the group. Who mm-hmm. is that, and why? Yeah, I only got as far as holding hands. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're you're gonna die soon anyway. So right. I feel like it was, you know, give give a dying girl <laughs> a last wish, right? Give, give a dying heiress. <laughs> If only she could just catch one break. This right. poor dying heiress. Right. <laughs> She's just never had anything before other than the name and the private jet. Right. And the butler. <laughs> the butler. And... Uh, yeah. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? No, I can't hear you over the sound of my private jet. It's very loud because it's very big and it's very fast. Well, just Sorry, in case. what? I have money in my ears. What? Just in case you hopefully get sucked into a jet engine, let's move on to the character creation forge and roll up yourself a new personality. I am doomed. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. We're also on email at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And don't forget to join us on Discord. There's a link in the show notes and on Twitter. Uh, there are over 100 people in our Discord now, which is just ridiculous. Hey, Shane. Hey, Yishin. Did you know that this week's episode is brought to you by D&D Beyond? I did, but I have a spoiler in the show notes for that. Oh, okay. Well, I was a bit shocked. I think the bit of information I learned from this is that they don't listen to the show. <laughs> hey, look, can we just celebrate that we've made it? We're now being recognized by an official D&D brand. Look, look at that. Isn't that amazing? In in the, in the podcasting world, you are who advertises on you. And so here we are. Um, I don't know, hey, but Spotify, hey, call us at some point, I guess. Or, <laughs> yeah, or, uh, sure. or just let us let us on Spotify, please. Parachute gift cards. Uh, hey, ZipRecruiter. <laughs> <laughs> Give us some of that ZipRecruiter money. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah, no, for real, we are now sponsored by D&D Beyond, which is the official uh, online D&D 5th edition resource. Uh, it's also super useful. Because you can go on there and check all of the information that you might need in order to build a character. Like, I don't know, say each week you need to build a level 1 to 20 D&D 5th mm-hmm. edition character. Yep. And you're having a little bit of trouble keeping track of where all those different feats and classes and races might be. Hey, D&D Beyond is one convenient place you can find them all. Yeah, you can perfectly synergize your character just like we've perfectly synergized our brands. Eh? Eh? So you can access official D&D content, create and level up your characters. And then a really cool thing, too, is you can create and share your own homebrew content, uh, which means if you're not playing a standard class, you're not totally screwed using these tools. You could just create it as homebrew and share it with others for commentary or use it yourself on your characters. Yeah, that was something that 
you kind of had to like hack together back in old versions of D&D with like old versions of like online tools because mm-hmm. it was just sort of clunky in the way that like you couldn't really tweak things. Um, so I like that from the ground up D&D Beyond uh, has understood that like pretty much everybody homebrews stuff. Yep. So here's some flexibility. Yeah. Um, another thing, like it's little details, like you can check a flag to ignore the weight of gold coins. <laughs> because otherwise like encumbrance is just useless as a stat but of course if you are weaponizing your encumbrance and you took powerful builds okay you're definitely going to like put the checkbox on all right because otherwise what was the point of it why why have i carried around all this copper the whole time right like suddenly everyone can carry two horses right (laughs) all right if you would like to learn more you can check out dnd beyond at dndbeyond.com all right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Gourmand. Uh, Shane, what is this besides French? The Gourmand is the character who wants to sample all of the finer things in life uh, by eating them. So we're building the Crute here. The Crute, yeah. yes. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, so what does our ravenous build look like? So this is a lizard folk. Moon Druid 18, Bard 2. So, it's got to be Lizardfolk because why? Because we get a bite attack, yeah? Uh, Not just the bite attack. You do get the bite attack for 1d6 plus strength damage, but you also get Hungry Jaws, which is once per short rest as a bonus action, you can make a bite attack and then gain uh, your con mod in temporary HP when you hit. Because you ate a piece of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. that's the that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hungry Charles. All right. So so from 18 levels of Moon Druid, uh, you get actually a lot of great stuff. Beast shape up to CR6 beasts. You're a 18th level spellcaster. You get flying, swimming, and burrowing animal forms plus elemental forms. Then at level 14, you will get uh, thousand forms, which lets you alter self at will. At 18, you'll have Timeless Body, which slows down your aging, uh, so you age one year for every 10 that you live. Which gives you just so much more time to sample all the food in the world. Yeah, exactly. you got to really slow down at the end when you have the means, you know, late in your adventuring career to really just <laughs> try all of the world's delicacies. And then, of course, your amazing capstone ability is Beast Spells, which lets you cast many of your spells while still in wild shape. And then we'll also take Bard 2. We're here for Bardic Inspiration, uh, which is, you know, probably you speaking eloquently about the upcoming meal and inspiring your allies to fight to survive to taste it. Uh, You'll get a few spells. Um, You're not getting a ton here, but it does let you keep your caster level intact. But, you know, Bard does have some very cool spells like Vicious Mockery. If, for example, you want to be a food critic. Well, hold on. Don't spoil my character. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You'll also have Jack of All Trades, which adds half of your proficiency bonus anytime you roll an ability check that you're not proficient in. Uh, And then you'll also have Song of Rest, which lets your allies gain an extra D6 hit points from a short rest. Uh, Obviously, this is you preparing a better snack for them so they feel better. All right, so with with this many levels in Druid, uh, you are going to want to carefully select what form you choose for your beast. So you're looking for things with high constitution who already have a strong bite attack because you're going to be want to be eating while in beast form. 
Yeah, so the thing the thing that you have with your Hungry Jaws ability is it says you can make a bite attack as a bonus action. It doesn't specify that you have to use your Lizard Folk bite attack. Uh, so you can use whatever your form already has. Uh, so that would, you know, like Dire Wolf, you know, gets to knock a knock a character prone on a bite you know you all of those extra effects still apply um and then of course you don't lose your ability uh when you're in beast shape so you can always bite with any character or with any form that you have so if you don't have one that works for you you want to go for a high strength high constitution form um so that you'll maximize the benefit and increase your odds of actually landing your bite attack yeah, so CR2, look at Polar Bear. CR3, Giant Snapping Turtle, which does 46 plus 4 damage with a bite. And is also the most adorable stat block because he's, like, way worse when he's prone. Yeah. <laughs> he loses all of his AC because he's on his back. <laughs> he has to make a check to get back over. <laughs> at CR4, there's Giant Subterranean li- Lizard. It's got a plus 3 con. And its bite auto grapples, and it can swallow. Yeah, that's uh, super crazy to be able to do that all on one turn because uh, you can, you know, do your hungry jaws to get the bite grappled and then swallow with your attack. It's that's super strong. At CR five, you have the giant crocodile, which has plus three con and an auto grappling bite. Uh, and then my personal favorite here is the giant shark. That's plus five con and a pretty nasty bite attack. And CR six, there's a mammoth. Uh, probably yeah. not much of a, a bite. No, <laughs> but I mean, it is in your hands, or at least in your jaws. Uh, it's, it's the only real option you have at CR6, so... Yeah, and it's got sucks. great strength and con. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, my fire element is going to bite you with fire teeth, so... <laughs> and then you'll be on fire. It's like, a, it's like, you know, barbecue. Yeah, that's right. I'm cooking it as I chew. <laughs> So in terms of leveling order, you'll want to go Druid 6, Bard 1, Druid 12, Bard 2, and then finish Druid. Uh, this is basically to keep your um, Beast CRs roughly in line with your level. All right, so Shane, who is your Gourmand? Uh, my Gourmand is, as you alluded to, a food critic. Nice. Um, so travels the world sometimes you know to get a good baseline for the best preparations of food he goes to try the raw thing you know straight from the source uh, naturally sourced if you will um displacer beast or whatever um but i think you know having thousand forms at druid 14 you can alter self at will it's it's good to go into the finest taverns and public houses and sample them without being recognized as a food critic you know you want to get their uh routine service you don't want to get special service because you're a critic i like it how about your gourmand my gourmand uh is a druid um, and does travel the world, specifically looking for the craziest things to eat. Um, you know how some people don't like the fact that you can sort of automatically turn into whatever animal of whatever CR that's in any book, uh, uh-huh. any any five E book. And so, like, I think in Xanathar's guide, they put together um, a table of animals that that you might have seen given being a druid of a particular level, just so you didn't have like everything all the time. Mm-hmm. So my uh, gourmand is beholden to that chart because the only way that she can turn into a new beast is after she has eaten it. 
So she's not traveling the world simply to see new animals to turn into. She is hunting and killing them and then eating them to uh, gain the ability to transfer like its essence so that now she can become it. She is truly absorbing it uh, into herself. So this is the uh, Grove of the Crew, then. Yeah, there, Literally. there you go. Cir- circle of the Crew. Circle right. of Crew, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the fact they're adventuring and they just see a terrible monster. Oh, that looks delicious. Mm-hmm. I love this idea. <laughs> hey, 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 hold up, hold up. <laughs> I, I got to eat this. <laughs> can, you, can you not use Blight? Because that makes it tough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it makes it real dry. Right? Yeah, Kona it Cold, sucks all the moisture totally out fine. Fireball, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> you want to sear it? I'm okay with a lightning bolt. Fine, go for it. Uh, poison, lousy for taste, but acid damage is actually nice. It gets rid of all the fur and stuff. <laughs> right. It really tenderizes it. Yeah. <laughs> well, bludgeoning is ideal. <laughs> all right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And while you're there, you can find things like the Character Creation Forge Codex, uh, which was brought to you by Patreon supporters, uh, in which we have listed every build in the Character Creation Forge, uh, index searchable, uh, sortable by uh, level and class and subclass and all types of stuff. Oh god, oh god, there's so many of them. There's like a hundred and... I don't know, 210 probably? Yeah, something like that. It's ridiculous. Because we used to make two a week. <laughs> yeah, because sweet summer children. <laughs> All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are continuing our series on alignments, and we are finally talking about lawful evil. And in the character creation forge, we're building Vegeta. Well, that's it for episode 197 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Dames and dragons, some have said, hilarious. Some have said, I cried. Some have said, it isn't just the best D&D content I've found. It's some of the best content I've experienced ever. Some have said Corbin is the best part. Well, some have said Fran is the best part. Only you say that, Fran. Some have said, shut up, Corbin. Some have said, this podcast is jam on toast. Some being me, Laika. <laughs> me, Laika, have said. <laughs> me, Laika, this podcast. Some have even dared to say, listen to Dames and Dragons, a D&D actual play podcast on Don't Split the Podcast Network. 